It's football and other F-words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on X at F-words pod. And guess what I've done? I've changed the icons. If you're watching on on YouTube, they are officially X icons. No. The bird is dead. I shot it. It's buried in the backyard. No more birds, only X's. And over there in a state of panic because he hates whenever anybody calls it X is Mike Herndon. You can follow him on X at Mike Herndon NFL. Uh, you can also read his late article that's coming out soon at some point. Blake Badenfield's already wrote too, but you know, neither here nor there, I guess. Mike's a little lazy this week. He he vacationed and partied hard because the Levisons happened in Sunday and he was in full attendance for that. But he writes for Podkarski.com. I'm Zach Lyons, and you can go read everything that I've written about the Levisance, about how I was wrong, about where a lot of people have been wrong on certain subjects. Over at StackingInbox.com, got a good preview piece coming up for tomorrow about how the Tennessee Titans can help Will Levis against the Pittsburgh Steelers, some things to look out for in that game. We'll talk about some of that today because it's all about Will Levis, baby, because Will Levis fever is spreading across America. But before we get to that, bluegrass beverages. You know, Will Levis went to Kentucky, the bluegrass state. So why not go to bluegrass beverages during Levis mania to celebrate, get everything you can in preparation for the Tennessee Titans taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers Thursday night football. Go to bluegrass beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and go there and get you some of the the best beer selection, some of the best wine selection and liquor selection in all of Tennessee. And if you're in East Nashville and you can't make it up to the Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, East Nashville Sinkers Beverages award-winning as well. Mike, the Levi- Will Levis just astounded everybody, <laughs> flabbergasted almost everybody. You have national media members talking about the Tennessee Titans that probably haven't talked about the Tennessee Titans in decades you have film breakdowns galore you got him on the ringer you have him on espn you got backup quarterbacks battling each other for quarterback (laughs) film breakdown supremacy it is everywhere it is like lynn sanity but it's will levis because everybody's not about will levis because he threw four insane touchdowns they were beautiful he dropped it in the bucket to Traylon burks he he made sideline throws he floated he fluttered in throws you were there in person did you have to go like did you have to send keith your brother to go get you a blanket to like cover up your erection <laughs> no i just let it fly free there in the, the third level at nissan stadium which was uh, it was a beautiful day first of all like the weather was amazing and also just I mean, like, what a view to be able to see that game from because you could just see all of it. Like, you could see all of those plays, you know, kind of breaking open as they happen. You know, obviously, except for the the first one, which was, you know, we got a little uh, got a little lucky there. I think with the the first touchdown, but that seemed to get him going, and then the the. But Other also, like, that's the whole reason he signed DeAndre Hopkins, right? As far it as is. offensive pass interference. Well, and it's it's a good example of Levis doing what we've begged Titans quarterbacks to do over the years, like give your receivers a chance to go make a play, right? Like, and that's exactly what he did. He gave his best receiver a chance to go make a play and DeAndre Hopkins rewarded him. And and I feel like that's the kind of thing that like good quarterbacks do. You, you put the ball out in a position, 
let your guy go make a play, trust that he's going to make the play or, you know, at least knock it down and make it incomplete. Um, yeah, go for it. I mean, I, I think it was incredible. Like it, it was incredible to watch. The vibe was, I mean, there was like cautious excitement going into the stadium. I felt like, cause everyone wanted to see Levis, see how he did when Malik Willis came in for that very first snap, everyone freaked out and then he fumbled. Um, and you know, we can talk about boo gate and all that here. Uh, I like maybe in a little bit blues or booze, the two-tone, the two-tone booze. Yeah. The, the, we can talk about the two-tone booze here in a minute and, and what a ridiculous, uh, discussion that is. But, um, I mean, it, it was, as soon as Levis hit that, that first bomb to Hopkins, people went nuts. Uh, there was Levis chance in the crowd. Then, you know, he comes back out, he hits another one and people were just losing their fucking minds by the time by the time he hit the third touchdown Hopkins, it was i mean people were losing it is amazing it was one of the best experiences i've had in these ones like i mean i'm sitting at home and i don't i don't know if you listen to the football show but i kind of went through my reactions just a little bit but when malik willis came out and fumbled <laughs> i go i just throw my hands up in the air lauren is like in the kitchen and i throw my hands up in the air i go of fucking course, this fucking <laughs> and just dropping f bombs left and right. I'm just mad. I'm upset. I'm like these. I get. I didn't. I go up to Twitter. I just go this fucking idiot team. Like why? Like you just go three run plays. You don't even like do anything with the Will Levis through the air. Then here comes Malik Willis. Well, this is a good idea, Mister Fumbles. And they do that. And um. And then you see the first touchdown pass, and you're like, I'm just like, my mouth is agape. Because we we so rarely get to see touchdown passes in Tennessee lately. Um, we You know, and everything. And then... Two all year. Yeah. yeah. And then the second one happened. I'm just like, what is happening? What is going on? And obviously, it's just one game. But I think it's okay for fans to look at this one game and just fucking enjoy it. Hang it up on the wall frame it it may never happen again but at least for one day it looked like your quarterback problem may be solved you know what i'm saying like it may be solved. and then d hop finally was i don't know what happened with d hop and look spare me the idea that it's necessarily the you know the racist offense that just decided. Oh well, our white quarterbacks in now we can play because guess what? Ryan Tannehill's white. Okay, <laughs> this is just a quarterback that is playing on a better level than the other two quarterbacks for one game. He had a very favorable matchup as well. So there's a lot of context, but there's I'm still riding the high off that game right now. Like Absolutely. it is the best is the best cocaine drug whatever energy drinks. I don't even need them. I'm just thinking about this game nonstop. Like that's it, where I'm at right now. I mean, it's, it's the, the most optimistic, I think any, you know, Titans fan has been about the quarterback position specifically since, you know, Mariota's opener. And, and look, I, I talked about this in my piece that will shortly be up at Um The opener for Mariota and the opener for Levis, it'll get compared because they both threw four touchdown passes. Go watch Mariota's four touchdown passes. They're not a single one of them traveled more right. than 15 yards in the air. Um, and Levis had three of them travel over 50 yards in the air. I mean, it, this was a totally different performance. 
Uh, totally different game, tougher defense than what the 2015 Bucks were. Um, and and look, Levis looked so poised too. Was the thing like that was the thing that stood out to me? Even like let's set the four touchdowns aside because like he's not going to throw four touchdowns every week. He's not going to hit deep ball after deep ball every single week. Although I think he's got the ability to challenge downfield at a, a rate that's going to be very very interesting for the Titans. Um, but let's set all that aside for a minute and talk about all these little plays that he made, the the dirting the ball at Derrick Henry's feet to avoid what was a sure sack. Um, and let me say something, Tannehill and Willis take that sack. They eat it so hard. They, 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 it's like they'll be absolutely, at a all-you-can-eat buffet. They eat that sack 10 times out of 10. A hundred percent. You're lucky if they don't fumble. Um, yeah. But it, it's – so Levis only took two sacks in the entire game, one of which was intentional to keep the clock running because the look wasn't totally clean on that uh, third-down play-action boot play. Um, so he, he takes one sack, um, which even then he did a good job negating or like minimizing the loss by stepping up and trying to like run through. Um, although I thought, you know, JT O'Sullivan's breakdown on the QB school was good that he probably had that play if he waits a second. Although I think the pressure was getting there quicker than what JT gave it credit for. I looked at it Um, today, just like an hour or so ago. And I, I think it was fine. But and I think he could have stepped up into the pocket, but really it was really wide open. Like I could see why Levis would choose to run it, but I think that he waited a little too long to run it, and thus that's why it didn't work out. I think he yeah. took a. I think if he immediately would have ran, it would have been there and it would have been a yeah. big play. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, so he wasn't taking sacks in in. I will agree with uh, our boy PBK here in the comments that the line play was not that good. I, after rewatching it, it you know a lot of people are saying, "Well, the line also gave him a lot more time than they did Tannehill." No, no, they didn't. They, I mean, they allowed pressure on over forty percent of the snaps. I mean, he was, I think, the eleventh most pressured quarterback um, from a pressure rate standpoint. He just did a great job managing the pressure. He did a good job of getting the ball out quickly. He averaged two point seven six seconds per uh, uh attempt um which was you know right in the middle of the pack which is good considering how many play action you know deep shots they took in this game um but it was a fantastic performance by levis from a managing pressure standpoint like he, he, it wasn't like the ball that he darted to henry wasn't the only one obviously he had the one the one like mistake he really made that i felt like during this game was the ball that he threw, he was trying to do the same thing and throw it like around Chigakonkwo uh, to kind of get away with grounding but not get the penalty. And he actually accidentally threw it too far and the linebacker got hands on it. That was the one really mistake that I felt like he made. But otherwise, I mean, he, he had another ball that he threw, intentionally overthrew to Phillips because everyone was covered on third down and there's pressure arriving in his face, courtesy of our boy Nicholas Petit Frere. Um, and he just airmailed it right over Phillips, but it was close enough that it wasn't going to get called for grounding. He doesn't take the 10-yard sack, and you move on and punt the ball. It, there were so many little plays like that that he managed throughout the game, um, and, and I, I thought it was tremendous. Like I, I, This was among the cleanest quarterback play, <laughs> played games the Titans have had in a long time, including the you know obviously the good Tannehill years. I mean, he was super clean throughout the game. Um, 
he Hopkins even had played. A, I, I see a lot of people. Sorry, just real quick. I see a lot of yeah. people talk about Hopkins because he's questionable and injured. He's playing. Well, I think let's playing, not worry yeah. about. It. Yeah, I think he's playing. Um, sorry, but I, I will say that there was a, there was a, you know the bad snap thing with with Malik Willis. There was at least three bad snaps with Levis in this game. He caught them all. He he was athletic enough to make the play and catch the ball, um, including one on I think it was third and third and six, I believe. And they uh, it's a bad snap. He has to like almost jump to catch the the snap, and, and then he's supposed to be giving the ball to Spears on the play, but he's got the presence of mind to rather than try to force a weirdly timed handoff to Spears and risk fumbling it or turning it over. He just grabs it and runs into this, the gap that Spears was supposed to run into and ends up picking up three and set them up for that fourth down where Burks got it, but they called the pass, the offensive pass interference um, deal and all that. But like, that's a great play by him. Like it's super smart shows a lot of poise, a lot of this, like good decision-making under pressure, which I was shocked by. Cause I was like, one of the things I was like, I'm not sure if he can do it based on his college tape, like it, the decision-making, not forcing the ball, protecting the football, all that stuff. But he did a tremendous job at that in this game. So like unbelievably encouraging first game. And it goes way beyond the four touchdowns, which is, you know, all everyone's talking about rightfully so, but like there's so much more to it than that, in my opinion. Well, let me push back on one little thing that you and PB Gary are talking about is that he's getting the ball out really quick. He only got the ball out quick on 38.7% of his snaps. The 61.3 went for 2.5 seconds or longer, and that's where both of his sacks came on, plays like that, and 11 pressures came on like that. So technically, the I think the offensive line played their best game, and mm. while it may not still be great, the, the on the plays that he held the ball the longest are when the pressures were generated. Just one of course, of course. I, I mean, that's true, but they also a lot of those plays were, were like heavy play action drop back. So, like, I mean, what one, one, maybe two of the touchdowns were had pressure coming. Um, I, I think those play action drop backs forced a lot of that, uh, a lot of those longer period of time, but his average was right on par with Tannehill. So, like, to me, that was one of the things I was worried about was like. Levis is going to hold the ball too long. They're going to get, they're going to have pressure all over him. The offensive line is going to be really stressed because Levis is going to hold the ball too long because he's a rookie. And that's normally what rookies do. He didn't do that in this game. I mean, he was right on par with Tannehill's time to throw um, over the course of the season. So I, I think, I, I think that's extremely encouraging. You would hope that it gets better as he gets more reps and, and things like that. Um, but it wasn't bad by any means in this game. It no, was, no. I thought it was good. I, I think the, well, and we'll talk about the Steelers game, but 51.6% of his dropbacks were play action. That's good, but he's going to have to increase his time to throw on those play action plays, make quicker decisions when he turns around. But that's something that we'll discuss later. I, I don't want it to sound like that I'm downing will levis because they did a lot of rollouts with them too they got him out in the move away from the pocket as well i thought the game plan was really good and set up for success for ryan for will levis in this game but they got to go into pittsburgh and do a completely different kind of game script in my opinion you can't go into into pittsburgh and do long developing routes and deep shots because you're going to be on your keister more often than not um 
I'm with you. I thought the command at the line, I thought the way that he tried to get them to jump off sides, and maybe it's an Art Smith thing that this defense didn't bite on it at all. Maybe because, you know, maybe they taught Ryan Tannehill everything and they are teaching Desmond Ritter and practicing that. But I thought Will Levis going to the line, pre-snap, changing run fits, changing audibles, pointing out protection, going right up to like that zero-second thing and still getting the ball snap, still executing the play. That, to me, shows something that you did not see at Kentucky. I, I don't care what anybody says on a consistent basis, which that Will Levis that you saw, you did not see on a consistent basis at Kentucky. And I would say you probably have never seen a Will Levis that good at Kentucky. So I'm very excited to see what the next stage, like the act two, the the part two for Will Levis is on, on Thursday. But I was just, I was floored. I was floored by the command and floored by the skill floored by the brains, the quick thinking, the decisiveness on some of these things. Because after watching Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis, for all dating all the way back to really 2021, this is a breath of fresh air. Like, this is, this is the good stuff. This is watching a football game, and you're just like, this is football. This is, this is 2023 NFL football on the field. This isn't, you know... Ryan Tannehill, 19, I wouldn't even say 2019, 2020, uh, and 2020, where they were good, but didn't, it still felt like kind of like a, a dependent on Derrick Henry offense. I don't, I know Derrick Henry had a good game and he was a big reason for some of their plays and everything. But I, I really felt that this was a Will Levis driven offense. And I felt like credit to the, um, the staff, right? Because PBK a couple of weeks ago was on this right here on this uh, podcast and in our chat saying, well, the Tennessee Titans don't have anybody that could develop Will Levis. And, um, you know, they don't they have a first time offensive coordinator. They don't have anybody that's ever played quarterback at the position, blah, 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 blah. And guess what? They they have those guys. And that's what we disputed. And those guys did that. I mean, those guys got Will Levis ready. And they had full trust and faith in Will Levis learning and having learned and being able to execute and communicate the, the game script, the game plan, the play calling to all the players. It was, it was a tour de force. Like, give, give him an, the, a Tony, an Oscar, and a Grammy, and an Emmy. He deserves an EGOT. Like, that guy... <laughs> I fit, and like he didn't even get player AFC player of the week. I don't even I'm assuming he got Pepsi rookie of the week. I would assume, right? There can't be anybody that had a better week than he did. Uh I don't even know if they still do those or not. Yeah, and FedEx Air player or whatever. I don't know what all those awards are, but I just know that he didn't get one of them, whichever one it was. Joe Burrow got it. I don't know, man. Like I was looking for my little Kentucky flag. You know, to hang up behind us, I can't find it anywhere. You know, after the draft, you know, where I had my comeuppance. I I know that it's not going to be the same Will Levis on Thursday against the Steelers, uh, but I'm just pretty fucking happy. Like I, I I hope I hope that no matter what that happens on Thursday, that the Tennessee Titans do the smart thing, and they keep playing them all year long. 
Yeah, I, I agree. They they absolutely have to. I mean, because even I, this may may prove to be his best game of 2023, right? Like that's that's something we all have to keep in mind here. That it's not like, all right, well, next week he's going to throw for six touchdown passes. That that's statistically this might prove to be his best game of 2023. But that said, like the ceiling that he already showed in this game makes his development the most important thing for this franchise. And I, I already kind of thought it was anyways, but it just reinforces the fact that this guy has a legit chance to be a guy, like has a legit chance to be a actual franchise NFL quarterback and not just like a, a Tannehill. Like he has a chance to be a Josh Allen. He has a chance to be like one of these top guys that you win because of. Not Josh Allen didn't have one game like this as a rookie, by the way. 100%. Right. I, yeah, I, I, mean, I looked. He had he only, only 10 touchdowns in 12 games, 10 passing touchdowns. Will Levis already has four. I'm just saying, I, mean, I, I know what you're saying, but I just want to throw that out there to everybody listening. Like, Will Levis, his most common, like, elite quarterback ceiling pro comp was like, oh, it's Josh Allen. Yeah. I think you saw... That maybe not 300 yards yet, but I mean, there's a lot of yards left on the table because uh, Burks can't is is a fatty and Chigakonkwo can't catch anything. He's a big disappointment to everybody. And they had him as Wolfman, I think, on Halloween on the like a graphic or whatever. I'm thinking there ain't no wolf in him. He's a little puppy. He can't even catch an open pass. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're, 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 that drop they're, left a good 30 plus yards on the field. I mean, for that's sure. what I'm saying. They're they're. Yeah. Like, I know it's just one game, but it's hard for me not to like let my mind wander, imagination wander to the end of the season where we're like, okay, now we just got to build around Will Levis. We need to keep keep the staff intact. We build around Will Levis. We and spend all this money and and draft people and do this and that, and we don't have to worry about the quarterback position. Yeah, exactly. I mean that. I I honestly already think that that that's where my head would be. If I was Rand Carthon, I'd say, okay, look, barring some situation where they end up in a spot to take Drake May or Caleb Williams, which they won't, um, there's not another quarterback that's going to be in this upcoming draft that I'm going to like more than what I saw from Will Levis on Sunday, right? Like, and we're already seeing it against NFL teams. So to me, this is your quarterback for 2024. This is your quarterback for, um, you know, beyond hopefully, you know, but at least I think this is going to be your guy next year that he's your, he's your starter. You're going to see what you can build around him as quickly as possible. But yeah, I think he has shown enough in one game to make me think Tannehill's done. Don't need to see him play anymore. I mean, look, he might, Levis is going to have games where he struggles, where he turns the ball over, where things don't go his way. Um, but that's all a part of the the rookie development process, right? Like it's it's just going to happen. It's going to be okay when he struggles, and there's going to be some ups and downs. But the, if the ups are like this, it makes it well worth going through the downs to see more of this, right? So like now it's all about consistency. We know that the ceiling is there. It's a question of consistency. And look, the arm strength thing, and I said it on Twitter, and I some people push back on it, but. I, I stand by it even more now after watching the play on all 22 angles and stuff like that. But that last throw to Nick Westbrook, Akine, it, there's like five quarterbacks in the NFL that can make that throw like legitimately. I mean, he, he is, and he looked like so natural doing it. it. Cause you know, like when, when people make plays like that, sometimes they have to go in this big wind up, 
They have to like replant their feet. They have to have everything perfect or they have to contort their body in some certain way. It just looks so fucking effortless. Like every pass that he threw was like, oh, this is an NFL quarterback. Like he looks like physically stature wise, his throwing motion, the way the ball leaves his hand. That looks just like a fucking quarterback, like an yeah. NFL quarterback. And I mean, he it was like halfway between the the hashes and the numbers on the right side, throwing off his back foot with pressure bearing down on him. And he throws it all the way outside the numbers on the other side of the field into the end zone. I mean, the ball traveled like 50 yards, like as far as like yard markers go. But considering the fact that we, he was throwing the ball probably 30 to 35 yards sideways as well. I mean, that's like a 60 plus yard throw in the air that drops into the bucket for Nick Westbrook-Akine, who, by the way, what has gotten into Nick Westbrook-Akine? Yeah, because I've I've noticed it before. Like, I think maybe it was the touchdown he scored against the Bengals, where I was like, man, NWI has a little bit more juice this year than he has in the past. And then he shows it again here. I, I don't know what's gotten into him, but he looks like a different Maybe it's guy just this year. offense is letting him loose, you know? Um, he looks good. He's played he well. Kinda, I, mean, he's, well, I said to someone, I was like, um, I can't wait for NWI to end up in Detroit next year, and he's going to look like Josh Reynolds. <laughs> you know, like That's kind of yeah. like what I'm seeing is like someone that's kind of like Josh Reynolds who has this like deceptive – I don't know if it's speed or if it's just a longer stride. But you're he right. He's getting does open. Look like 21 miles an hour. Now they said that he got up to 21 miles an hour. I don't yeah. know if I've seen that actually anywhere else. I thought I've only seen 19 something miles per hour. Yeah. But either way, 19 miles per hour is like going. You know, I mean, he's like a five mile per hour runner. It feels like so. Even 19 is pretty impressive for Nick Westbrook. Um, I, I've just I don't know. I'm just amazed. And you look at the schedule. Okay, like okay, Pittsburgh's gonna be tough. I don't think that Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is about average. They're very much like Atlanta in terms of defense, except for they may have a little bit more juice up front. Um, Jacksonville, I think, is overrated. Uh, I'll continue to think they're overrated until I am proven otherwise. And they're so far their record and the way that You're they working. played has not has not proved me otherwise. I do not. I mean, they're six and two. <laughs> the record is it, proving you I think otherwise. No, I think it's I think it's a fake six and two. It's one of the to me it, records do mean a lot, but they don't tell the whole story. And if well, you watch the not, game, but... they they've gotten lucky uh, quite a few times, and I'm just not really sold on them quite yet. <laughs> then you have Carolina, Indianapolis. I mean, that's a favorable stretch defensively. I feel like where you're facing really average defenses to below average defenses. So why not keep you know why not keep going with it like that's kind of where i'm at right now is that like i think i just don't see a reason why especially with how the players responded to will levis on the sidelines with how ryan Tannehill was actually just happy to be there helping out with his headset and everything i don't see how you go back to ryan Tannehill. i really really don't and spare me that he gives you this best chance to win he may but i don't think it's a it's some like massive chance increase because I don't think Ryan Tannehill's throwing four touchdown passes against the Falcons. You can call me, you can say I'm crazy, but I just don't feel like he is. He's not making at least, at least two, if not three of those touchdown throws. Like he just doesn't have the arm strength to do it. And, and Tannehill isn't like 
some noodle arm quarterback. He's got a pretty good arm, but he just doesn't have the Will Levis arm. Like the Will Levis arm is in the class of the Josh Allen arm, the Patrick Mahomes arm, the Justin Herbert arm. Like those are the guys right now that I think have those caliber arms. And maybe Anthony Richardson, although you haven't seen a ton of, of him yet. Um, but those are the guys in the like ridiculous arm strength, arm talent realm in the NFL. And and Levis is right there with them. And, and Levis has the fact that he can make those throws with that kind of arc, that kind of velocity. Cause I lo- like people, some, someone was asking me on Twitter about, does it look like his, his throws are floating a little bit downfield? And I'm like, yes, they are floating, but that's great because you want to throw, you want to have some arc on a deep ball because look, if you throw a line drive deep ball, just makes it harder for your wide receiver to be able to adjust and make it make a play on the ball the more air you can put under it the better chance your receiver has to bend his route to go you know make a play and and that's what made that first touchdown possible with Hopkins was that ball had air under it and he was able to get free from Terrell and then just go run to it right like so if you throw a line drive out there he's not getting to that ball in time so I I love that he puts the air under it and also thought one of the things he showed was like this level of touch that I didn't think he ever showed on his Kentucky tape. Like the ball to Henry in the flat on that third down specifically is, is one that stands out where he, you know, you could tell he just kind of floated it out there and just dropped it right over Henry's shoulder. Perfect placement, perfect, you know, touch on that pass. He showed the ability to dial up and down the velocity. Uh, I, as needed which is something that not all like big arm quarterbacks are able to do sometimes they just fall in love with their own arm strength and they feel like every pass needs to be you know maximum effort you know maximum velocity and and it just doesn't and he showed in that game alone that he can dial it up dial it down he can shape passes he can do everything you need him to do to be a successful NFL quarterback with a ridiculous arm and and like I just seriously couldn't have been more encouraged by the debut i cannot say anything bad about will levis right now and, and you really the the almost near interception that was thrown at the uh, that defender the defender really made a good play on it um yeah you would like to maybe see it like in front of chig at his feet or something but i yeah. thought the defender kind of like stopped and tried to make a good play on it as, as much as he could like i don't know like i don't you you have stuff that you can nitpick that you would like to see done, but that's stuff you can correct. This is his first start. This is a good foundation to build upon. What you don't want to do is turn around and have a Mariota like performance where he's either getting seven sacks in his second start, like Marcus did in 2015, or you throw three interceptions against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thursday night football, like Marcus did in 2017. So like, this is a dangerous like if if you're gonna say that okay, well, you know, the, if you're gonna compare the Marcus game to this game in a sense of like debuts and stuff, you gotta you gotta throw in the bad. And here comes the the Pittsburgh Steelers, who if you look at their box score rankings on defensive side, like points for yards allowed, stuff like that, they look like a bottom tier defense. But when you go into DVOA, the advanced stats, the EPA per play allowed, the success rate allowed. All this stuff, you're looking at a top 15, a top 10 defense that is going to cause this team some 
fits because guess who's back at left tackle? Oh, Andre Dillard. And then you got NPF on the right, who may be fine with NPF over over at the right, but that's not great. Alex Highsmith, TJ Watt, and then Cam Hayward is possibly coming back at the worst time. Now, you you don't have Mika Fitzpatrick back there in that backfield because I believe he's out for the game. And yeah. you got Kenny Pickett, who is uh, all banged up. Yeah, claims he's going to play. Some you have up rip. Yeah, you have to come up with a different game plan. And you are kind of lucky because it is a short week, so they have very little time to really study, dive in, and game plan for the film that Will Levis put on tape. So you have a chance to kind of surprise them and do something entirely different than you did against the Falcons. Um, So where are you at? I mean, obviously, if you have to ask the question or if you think that the Falcons' defense is better than the Steelers' defense, I just don't think you're watching football at this point. I mean, the Steelers' defense is still the Steelers' defense. Their issues have been offense. But when you got someone like Will Levis in a second start on a short week, where are you at on what the Titans need to do to beat the Steelers? Because I have a few game plan ideas myself, but where are you at on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Steelers' defense is very good. Um, I, I, now, I don't think they're maybe as good as they've been in years past oh, as a whole, right? I mean, I think Watt and Highsmith are outstanding. Um, you know, Joey Porter Jr. has been really good so far, and it sounds like I guess he's the starter now um, after kind of working his way into that role. Um, but they are definitely a talented defense but there are questions on that back end especially without Minka Fitzpatrick uh as far as the secondary is concerned I don't think they're linebackers they're off-ball linebackers or anything special um it's going to be a question of whether the tights can block them and I have real concerns as to whether or not that can happen right um because I I think you're going to be finding it very difficult to get the ball off on any third down. So I think you are going, I think you do still want to take some of those play action shots, but you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do your passing on first and second down in this game. And I do think you're going to have to pass the ball on first and second down. Cause I don't think you're just going to line it up and, and cram it down their throat with Derrick Henry um, with TJ Watt and Highsmith. And, and, you know, it's sounding like Hayward coming back. So I, I just, I think this is the kind of game where you're going to have to, hit some of those plays down the field um, that, that Levis did in, in the last game. Um, and, but yeah, it's a, it's a completely different defense in the fact that like the Falcons have a very good secondary, like they have one of the better secondaries in the NFL. Um, Akuda's playing played well this year. AJ Terrell's one of the best corners in the league. Jesse Bates is one of the better safeties in the league. Um, they are, they're good on the back end. They're not as good up front from a pass rush standpoint, especially at the edge at the edges, which is like the exact opposite of the Steelers. So like it's a very interesting um matchup from the standpoint of it's a completely different defense um than the one he faced last week. And we'll see. We'll see like how it goes. It's like if he's just getting cr- like creamed every play because Hubbard or not Hubbard, um Dillard and uh MPF are are completely incapable of blocking Highsmith and Watt, then um yeah there's not gonna be a ton that you can do about that 
Uh, you know, the Tennessee Titans, or sorry, the Pittsburgh Steelers are averaging just over three sacks a game. They are ninth in sacks per game, ninth in sack rate, 16th in pressure rate. Uh, they uh, have a pass DVOA of ninth, a rush DVOA of 14th. Um, here, here's here's kind of where I'm at on this, because I think the hidden thing here is that Tennessee Titans have been dreadful in the red zone. Okay, and most of these scores from Sunday were outside of the red zone, which is fine, and that's a good thing, right? You need those ex- explosive plays just as much as you need plays in the red zone. But the Steelers are a very good red zone defense. They've only allowed nine touchdowns out of 18 trips. And the 18 trips are the most bothersome because they have allowed the third fewest trips in the red zone this season. That's not good for a team like the Tennessee Titans that's only found itself in the red zone 22 times, twenty, the, which is the 21st best mark, and only have converted eight of those 22 trips into touchdowns. That is dreadful. So I'm very scared of that. So I, I, I'm anxious to see what he can do in the red zone because I know that he was pretty successful in the red zone in college. But this is a tough test, and that's what everybody has to keep in mind is that this is a tough test for Will Levis. Um, you know, and looking at my biggest concern, and it's my biggest concern of really any game of the Tennessee Titans at this point right now, is Will Levis getting the ball out quickly behind a pretty bad or average offensive line, depending on how you which metric you want to go look at. But I I'll think at the end bad. of the day, I'd say uh, I'd say it's a it's an offensive line ranked in the twenties, and um. You know, Levis had the luxury of debuting of debuting against uh, the Atlanta Falcons, right? So, like, now you're going to Pittsburgh. You know, the Falcons lost Grady Jarrett, couldn't find their way to him. You know, uh, the Falcons can find their way to him for the most part. That affects that negatively affects the plays because there was a lot of wasn't a lot of blown blocks, and that's good, especially compared compared to like someone like the games like Cleveland where there's like 13,000 blown blocks, uh, but there were still pressures generated and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I kind of look at it and I'm like, okay, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the average time that they have faced a quarterback is 2.74 seconds to throw on all attempts on just passing attempts, 2.56 seconds at 3.12 seconds respectively, because that's the average. Now, 2.76, 2.66, and 3.5 are what Will Levis was. So he held onto the ball a lot for those sacks, which means that here comes the Steelers, who usually right, get the, to the quarterback. It's just two sacks, though, right? It's just two sacks. But if you look at with how fast the Steelers get to those quarterbacks, and we're talking about they face the Jaguars and Matt Stafford and the Rams, which have offensive lines similar to what the Tennessee Titans are, they're getting there at 3.03 and 2.95. So he's going to have to get the ball out quicker. So that's one thing they have to change. They have to do not these. They cannot do these long developing routes on this game. If they do, he is sunk. They, they put together a bad game plan. And the other thing I talked about it is when you look at CJ Stroud and Trevor Lawrence, the last two AFC South teams to play the Steelers, uh, they had 56.7% of their dropbacks were less than 2.5 seconds and 694 for Trevor Lawrence. 
was 2.5 seconds. Everybody else was in the 40s. So you have to get plays that generate that kind of dropback percentage for Trevor or for Will Levis so he can get the ball out quickly because your your offensive line is not going to hold up more often than not on dropbacks that last longer than 2.5 seconds. I mean, it's, I think it's also a, it's just a task for Tim Kelly of you've got to be able to keep that defense off balance enough that, you know, especially on first and second down. I mean, on third down, they're going to be pinning their ears back and coming and you're just going to have to block them, which is why the Titans are going to struggle on anything third and long in this game. But um, on first and second down, you've got to keep them off balance enough that, you know, they, they, don't know run or pass that the play action's able to work that they're able to um you know just keep the the flow of play calling to where that Watt and Highsmith are having to wait a second and diagnose the play rather than just reacting and going um so to me like that's all the difference is is can you keep them off balance from a play calling standpoint i thought Tim Kelly did a really good job of that in this past game and i was encouraged by the play calling in general um for one, because it, he didn't treat Will Levis like a like he was scared of him, you know, um, which I think a lot of play callers we've seen in the past do with young quarterbacks. You know, they, they treat him like, oh, well, this guy's going to screw up. So we're going to be very, very conservative all game. Um, and, and which really, I think, just dooms the guy to begin with. But he treated him like a real NFL quarterback and he played like a real NFL quarterback. So um, I'm encouraged by that. I hope they don't turtle uh from that approach against the Steelers I hope they do you know you're gonna have to attack the Steelers to some degree like if you just play super conservative and try to screen them to death um yeah I I just don't see that working in this game the Steelers are too well coached they're they're too disciplined defensively to to just get gashed by a screen game but well you have to work in some of that yeah you need to get like some Basically, you can't have what happened at the Cleveland game, which was 2.52 seconds per sec on Ryan Daniel. Yeah. Like they were back there and they were they they feared nothing. And to me, the Titans are facing a Steelers defense that is allowing for over 137 yards per game on the ground. That's 4.5 4.5 yards per attempt. Now the Tennessee Titans are right now averaging. yards per attempt. So this is a a Steelers defense that is susceptible to the run game. I'm not sure that's going to be the case with Hayward back. And maybe not, but what what I would like to say is that, like, just because Hayward is back doesn't mean that the other players probably aren't aren't on edge when you see a run play happening. They're, you know, sometimes when you get in that groove in your mind, it's hard to get out of it. That mental, you're kind of like in a mental rut. but they have to find ways to get Spears out in space with the ball in his hand. And I think they're going to have to find ways to get Henry going in this game. Even if it's like a dirty, like if this ends up being a, the rock fight that everybody thought the Cleveland game was supposed to be. And I kind of feel like it, it should be, you're going to have to lean on the run game, but also the reason why you want to lean on the run game a little bit more than what you have in the past is so you can have a more effective play action game pass uh passing game because right now the 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 Steelers have only faced play action 16.4% of the time on their dropbacks that's really really low they haven't seen a lot of play action and here's the some four stats non play action versus play action so first number is going to be non play action second play action 
and that's your averages. So yards per attempt, 7.83, goes up to 8.74. Average depth of target, 8.4 to 15.6. This is what the Steelers' defense allows. So average depth of target for 8.4 to 15.6. Pressures, 11.57 pressures per game or per on uh, non-play action passes. They average 11.57. 2.57 pressures on play action. So they the play action pressures aren't really there for them. Sacks, 2.71 on they average on non-play action plays, 0.43 on play action average. Like that's insane for the game over their per game average on these plays. And I think that this is just this is the time because everybody talks about outside of offensive line, a run game is a quarter young quarterback's best friend. In this game, I think you you don't take the you don't take the pressure on, or you don't take the uh, put the reins on Levis. You don't handcuff Levis, but I think you take some pressure off of Levis by utilizing the run game better than what you may have done in the past. Because they they are right now 18th in attempts, Mike, in rushing attempts, which is by far their lowest in a long time at this stage of the season. And I think they need to bump up the averages of Derrick Henry's right now averaging 17.1 rushing attempts a game. Spears is at 4.86. I think both those numbers need to come up, not necessarily like 50 attempts or anything, but I think that, you know, if you had 25 to 30 attempts between the two, that's a good sign that you probably did your young quarterback a favor and were able to utilize play action passing just a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how effective they're able to be against Hayward. Because to me, like, that's the question is, is does the Steelers defense change a lot with Hayward in the game? And I think it probably will um, from a run defense standpoint, because, yeah, teams have been able to run on them so far this year. It's just, I mean, it, not to sound like Mike Vrabel, <laughs> but yeah. you cannot get into a third and long consistently against the Steelers defense because they will eat MPF and Dillard for lunch. I mean, they, they just will. There's zero hope of being able to drop back and pass against these guys on third downs without like really doubling both those edges, which means you're going to have to play three against seven on the back end um, on third downs, which is just, isn't, is not where you want to be. So I, I think, this is a game where the Titans need to be careful to stay out of those situations. Um, but that does also doesn't mean that they can't attack on first and second down. And I think that's going to be the kind of the, the balance that they have to strike is, is between attacking and leaving themselves in a spot where they're, they're constantly in third and long. And I think Levis frankly should help uh, some of this because Levis is one of those guys like you, there's like this old adage about, you know, defensive coordinators and making, you know, our offense is making a defensive coordinator defend every blade of grass, right? Like you've heard that saying before. Levis has that kind of arm where you do have to defend every blade of grass. Like he has shown the ability to make that throw all the way back across the field, you know, 50 yards downfield and hit it. And and that changes the way that defenses can play against you. So like, it'll be interesting to see how the Steelers react to what Levis put on tape last week. Obviously it's a short week, so I'm I'm curious as to how much they will actually adjust what they were going to do based on Levis playing and, and what they saw on tape. But 
it'll be very interesting to see how they line up and defend the Titans and whether they do have to sit back and, and allow the Titans to run the ball a little bit more against lighter boxes and, and things like that uh, because they're, they're scared of the deep ball. So that, that could be the X factor in all of this is if Levis can continue to challenge them down the field, how much of that does that open up for Derrick Henry and, and the running game and the intermediate passing game and everything else? Okay. I want to get to a few things, but before we do, I want you to give us a what you consider a a good and reasonable um, stat line for Will Levis, like a minimum stat line of like I'd be happy if we walk away and he has this. Okay, if if and we know that there's other stuff besides a stat line, but we have a request to do a stat line and also the score. So I think that the Titans are going to win fourteen to ten. And I think that an acceptable Will Levis stat line, as long as he shows all those intangibles that we talked about before the snap, after the snap, making good decisions and stuff like that, as long as he continues that trend, I think that we're going to see like barely over 200 passing yards is a good is a good baseline. Maybe like 60% right around there, completion percentage. And uh, one touchdown, and if he has two interceptions, I'm not freaking out. Yeah, I mean, I think my baseline would be like 210 yards, you know, one touchdown, one pick, something like that. Like, you don't want him to turn it over multiple times if he can avoid it. Um, You know, protecting the football is, like, paramount uh, in a game like this, especially if it's going to be low scoring. Uh, But I actually do think the Titans will be able to move the ball a little bit against against the Steelers, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them. I, I think Kenny Pickett playing with a rib injury, and playing behind a really bad offensive line. Like that's the other, th- the flip side of this is the Steelers offensive line also sucks. Um, and they can't run the ball. Um, Cause they, they just, and especially against the Titans, they're going to be one dimensional and they're going to have to drop Kenny Pickett back a ton in this game. And I just have a feeling Jeffrey Simmons and, and the, the guys up front and, and the resurgent Harold Landry are going to make his day absolutely miserable. Um, and I could see this being actually like a, a, you know, 24 to 10 Titans win kind of, kind of day. So that's, that's what I'll put on there. All right. Sounds good. Um, Mike, I don't really want to talk about the two tone booze or anything like that. Can we skip that? Cause I just find I, it to be such an, an asinine thing. It's stupid, but, but let me say, let me say my piece on it because I was okay. in the stadium. I can speak for myself and all of the Titans fans around us who, you know, we could, we were talking with, could hear conversations of everyone that was around us. And I'll speak for those people. Cause I don't know. I wasn't in the entire stadium, right? Neither was anyone else, by the way, but the people that I was with and I was around, everyone was pissed at Mike Vrabel. Everyone was saying, Vrabel, you fucking idiot. Why are we doing this stupid cute two QB thing? Like that is the feeling that was in the stadium by and large among all the people that I interacted with while I was there. And it was not a, a, we hate Malik Willis. Now, it probably does have something to do with the fact that, like, every time Malik Willis has come into the game in these situations, he's turned the ball over. He's done it, like, at least four or five times when they put him in on these little gadget plays, and then he turns the ball over. And that is a part of it. But it was not booing Malik Willis. It was very clearly booing the ridiculous two-quarterback system that Mike Vrabel talked about all week and flirted with all week in the media. And then he comes out on the fourth fucking play and he puts Malik in the game and he immediately turns it over 
And yes, it was a bad snap, but also fall on the fucking ball, Malik. Like, come on, man. Like, so it was the ridiculous decision of Mike Vrabel that people were booing, not Malik Willis, the person, or Malik Willis, even the player. So I know the players are going to take it however they want to take it. I don't give a shit about that. I can tell you what I meant. I, I what, did think Mike Vrabel had the best. Mike Vrabel had the best thing. Yeah, go ahead. You, I mean, they, and look, it, you're a professional football player. You are played to, paid to play the game. You're not above criticism or above the fans booing you when you fuck up, right? I mean, like, would we be having this conversation if it was Tannehill getting booed? I don't think we would um, because people aren't protective of Tannehill like they people are. People have already Malik booed Taylor. Tannehill like 30,000 yes. times. I mean, like, I mean, they booed Taylor one. They booed Marcus. I mean, they booed everybody. I mean, everybody gets – and everybody gets booed. Like, that's my thing is, like, everybody gets booed. And if he can't handle it, then he's just as mentally weak as everybody has already kind of came up with the opinion of. Is that he's just hashtag blessed to be here, and as long as everybody likes him, he's a okay. Doesn't matter or anything like that. Now that everybody likes him, and it's really, and to me, it's just like I can't believe I'm getting sucked into talking about it. But to me, it's you guys booing, um, Mike Vrabel when Malik comes out on the field. To me, it's a distinction without a difference because you're booing Malik Willis, right? I mean, like you're essentially his presence on the field is causing you to boo. It's not if- his fault. You're it's, not you're not faulting Malik Willis. Not necessarily. I'm not you're booing I, Malik Willis. If if Ryan Tannehill Which had been fine. the second I don't give quarterback, a shit you are. I think you should. If, I think you should they, boo Malik. If Willis. they pulled Ryan Tannehill off the fucking stretcher over there or whatever, I was and at put that him in the game, game and and put him in the game, I would have booed Tannehill going in the game too. Like it yeah, had nothing I, to do I with agree. Malik Willis. It had to do with Will Levis is playing well. He's in a rhythm. There's nothing that Malik Willis does that Will Levis doesn't do. Leave Malik, leave Malik Willis alone. Like let let him go be the backup, and Will Levis keep playing your ass off. Like that was the whole thing. It could have been any quarterback, short of like someone said, like, well, if the, you put in Tom Brady, you wouldn't have booed. Well, yeah, Tom Brady wouldn't have been coming off the fucking bench, right? Like, come on, let's be realistic. If you put in any backup quarterback, if they put in. Taylor Heineke, if they put in, uh, you know, Desmond Ritter, if they put in Jacoby Brissett, if they put in, you know, any quarterback that we want to list that's a backup level quarterback, when Will Levis was dealing, I would have fucking booed because that was stupid. It was a stupid decision. I was booing Mike Vrabel. And yeah, nobody can tell me what the fuck I'm booing besides me. Right. So like, leave your, your, uh, you know, yep. Steve McNair's conspiracy been theories, you know, at the door here. Uh, I, I read a Deagle says they booed Tannehill at a soccer game. We, me and Lauren were at yeah. that game and it was, it was kind of crazy. It was, it was funny. I mean, cause I didn't boo, but I mean, cause like I'm at a soccer game. I don't care, but <laughs> you know, I don't care about who boos and who does a boo. That's not my thing. You know, Steve McNair was booed as Todd Apple points out. I mean, like yeah. it is what it is. Don't be soft. Sometimes um, people get booed when they, they don't play well or when sh- dumb shit's happening. Mike, uh, tunnel gate. Why does Mike Vrabel hate Will Levis? <laughs> no, this is this, so that you didn't want to talk about Boogate. This is even stupider than Boogate because this is such <laughs> a non it, like this is people looking for something to be there that is just not fucking there. After a win, a right. fantastic fucking win. Like, and there's this whole like, I, I don't know if it comes from Charles Robinson and his whole thing about like, well, when when you saw you know Vrabel talk to Levis after he was drafted, and he the first thing he said is you know be humble, 
and uh, thank your family because they put you in this position and everything like that, that, that Vrabel clearly didn't want him. That's fucking bullshit. If you've seen one Vrabel interaction with any other draft pick, that is what he says to all of them. That is his standard you know, tone. That is his standard line. He always tells them to thank their family. He always tells them, you know, come in, be ready to work, all this stupid shit. It's never... Oh my God! You're my favorite boy. I can't believe we get to coach you. You're just so good. Wanna, you're gonna be all to pro. Like, spit, like you know when a uh, a guy comes home or a woman comes home from the army and they see their significant other and they get whipped around, they chase around and they're crying. That's what they want. That's what they. That's what the. I, and I say this generation. I am part of the of this generation. I think we're we're still in a part of the the majority of the people that are speaking this. That's not how guys are. Like, when did guys even become that that way? Like, guys are emotionally stunted creatures, right? <laughs> they don't show emotion out in public with other guys. They give you fist dabs. You know, they they you know they give you. You sometimes you. I think I feel like we're a little bit more of a hugging group. We we hug a lot in our group, but yeah. like the, for the most part, like fist fist bumps and you know good job, attaboys and stuff like that is what yeah. gets you through as men. Yeah. Why they think that Mike Vrabel, who is like 20 years older than all these guys, thinks he's going to like see Will Levis across the, the way coming off the field. They make eye contact. Will Levis runs to him and he lifts Will Levis off his feet, and spins him around and gives him a big old kiss on the lips. Like that's not going to happen. Oh, I mean, it took Ben Jones to put his body on the line in a game for him to show emotion to Ben Jones, and Ben Jones has been there for forever. Yeah, like, he's been there, he, been, yes, he has shown. They've been together for yeah. six years. That's a different level yeah. relationship than a guy that's been yeah. here for six months. Like, and, give and, me a break. It, it, because, like, here's my thing. How can he hate him? He drafted him. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, he's, and he started him, and he started by the way. Because then and people going, well, Vrabel doesn't even know how to evaluate quarterback talent because, you know, he he didn't even know that Levis was better than Malik. I'm like, well, then why the fuck did he start Levis over Malik? Because he knows that he's better than him. That is why. It was that clearly was always going to be a pack. When they were talking all week long about the stupid fucking quarterback system, it was clearly going to be like at max seven plays, like 25% at max of the plays were going to be coming to him, which is w- w- on 31 dropbacks. Which would have been too many. Yeah, like seven. Like, right? That's too many. We can all agree. But there are packages. It's not a rotation. It was never going to be preseason. He was going to come in. They were going to run some stupid version of the Wildcat. But they forgot that Derrick Henry is a better quarterback than Malik Willis. <laughs> and that's what they were going to do, right? I mean, like, that that was the obvious thing that they were going to do all week. Will Levis is the dude. Like, my... And let's get into some Charles Robinson comments, because that was has driven me nuts because this is now it goes from you know will levis hates him or mike vrabel hates will levis to now mike vrabel and rank carthon were forced to draft will levis because people do not understand nuance and they cannot understand words there was a nine minute clip over at stackinginbox.com i've broke this all down for you where charles robinson was on the my man michael smith podcast which is a horrible stupid name terrible uh, a terrible name yeah it's like my man catch no balls right like it's just a it's a horrible name i know i know football and other f-words is the best name for any football broadcast and it's taken shorts but but you can do better you can do better than my man michael smith pod what the fuck 
awful. So like when I watch and listen to these clips, I do it like nine, I did well, not nine times. I do about like three or four times to kind of figure out what's the most important takeaway. What are the words being used? What can the words, you know, mean, right? So this is coming off the heels of the tunnel gate. Now, listen, I share stuff without any explanation or reasoning or any kind of exposition or analysis on my part, because I really am so fucking curious as to how people will react to something, what they'll share without checking something, what they'll do. Like, I'm just, I'm curious. Cause I'm laughing at like the people that I, I retweeted the, uh, that Baltimore Ravens, Amy Adams drunk vetoed the, the Derrick Henry trade. And I'm laughing because nobody's going in this guy's replies and seeing, you know, oh, I got my source from my mommy or and all this stuff. Like uh, the, yeah, the way yeah. he interacts with people is clearly yeah. this guy cannot be trusted. And people that's are making why I, videos that's why about I undid it. the uh, retweet after the fact because yeah. I was like, <laughs> I saw you retweet it. I was like, oh, I assume, I assume that's legit. And then I, uh, I went back and saw it. I was like, oh, wait, I'm gonna undo that. I don't think yeah. I think this is bullshit. It's, and so I like those. I like to see what people do. You know, we had I, it got people to make uh, car videos or you know videos. You know, saying I told you, Derek was not going to blah 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 blah, and all this though. Like it was ridiculous, and and it's it's hilarious to me. Uh, so I shared this clip, and I just put the clip of what I'm about to tell you guys, and I just put it up. Yeah, it's interesting too. The way he ended up with the Titans. I mean, and I'm about to sneeze, of course. I mean, I don't know if this story will ever get fully told. I think it has very, it was very much, this was an ownership inspired draft pick. I do believe that. So that's what I put up, shared the clip so people could watch it. Apparently, that means that these guys, these two guys hate Will Levis and that uh, they were forced to draft Will Levis. And I think that's, the, I think that's hilarious that people immediately jump to the worst possible conclusion that you could drive like Amy Adams drinks up there going, yeah, I've been watching this Will Levis film and they're like, Oh, we've been watching. We, we, we've been watching it too, but we don't like it. And she goes, well, I'll tell you what, I've been watching this Will Levis film. I really like it. You guys got to draft Will Levis. I don't, I don't care if you guys like CJ Stroud. And then apparently, you know, the, everybody forgets that they try to trade for CJ Stroud and all this right. talk. But like, right. I don't care who you like. You have to draft Will Levis. I don't care. And to me, I think the most likely scenario about ownership-inspired draft pick is that it's likely that she said, you guys got to find a draft pick in this uh, quarterback in this class if you guys do not believe in Malik Willis. Like, and I don't, th and I, and maybe they all already came to that assessment. It's just like we, you guys got to find a quarterback in this draft class. I don't care how you do it. Find a quarterback of the future. Okay, that can happen at any point during the off season. And I think that is what an, it didn't say ownership inspired player. It just says ownership inspired draft pick. That's what he said. I think if your first and only thing that you took away from that is that they were forced to take it, that colors everything about the rest of the video for you, right? And I think that's the incorrect way to look at it. I think the most likely scenario, if you listen to the whole clip, is that they wanted, they wanted, uh, she wanted them to find, she knew there's Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, uh, CJ Stroud, uh, Will Levis, and Hidden Hooker, right? You had five viable quarterbacks in some form or another that are likely to be pretty good in the NFL. Find me one of those five. 
What do you think about that? Well, I, th- I think Green Thumb here in the chat actually brings up the point that I was going to raise, and it is if this if if her mandate was you have to go get Will Levis, they could have drafted him at eleven. Right, they would have drafted him at eleven. They would not have said, "Okay, well, we're going to take this guard from Northwestern because we think he's going to be really good." And then, you know, we'll see if maybe we can trade back up and get Will Levis. If this was some mandate that they had to do this, that that never would have happened. It would have been Levis at eleven, um, or they would have even traded up to get Levis ahead of eleven. Um, it just makes zero sense. And, and frankly, like. I just I don't know how much I buy the whole thing generally. I think like you said, maybe it's a she said, Well, if if you know that Malik is not the guy, and and I feel like they did know that Malik was not the guy. They treated him like he was not the guy uh last year when they played Josh Dobbs over him, obviously, and then when they go and turn around and take Levis. But if if she I know she knows that Tannehill is coming to the end of his time. And I know she probably knows that Tannehill is not a very popular quarterback here anymore. Um, And I think obviously she knows that quarterback is the lifeblood of an NFL organization. And if you don't have a quarterback, your team is going nowhere. So I I think this is a situation where, yes, she probably said, guys, we've got to get a quarterback. And if Malik isn't the guy, then we've got to find someone else who can be, because I don't want to give, Ryan Tannehill another extension just to keep paying him, you know, 20, 30 million dollars to get this level of play out of him at this point because you know, it doesn't look like it's getting a whole lot better at the moment. Um and I, I think that's completely valid and if she said that, but I don't for a minute think that like Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon were just like, "Okay, Miss Amy, we're going to trade up and get your quarterback that you want so bad." I, this is not a VY is my guy situation. Like that was with the third pick in the draft, right? Like this is totally different. Right. I just don't buy it. So uh, four stack in the inbox that broke this all down and it's for free because PBK says, watch it again, Zach. He said specifically Levis. And yes, they're talking in the context of Will Levis, but they, he, I'm telling you what he said word for word, because guess what? I also pulled up the transcript on the YouTube page so I can make sure that I'm typing it as I'm listening because I typed it word for word. He never said at any point what PBK just said. He said the coaching staff felt stuck with him. That is not anywhere in that phrase at all because I'm going to go back to some other stuff that he specifically said because it's all back to back to back. Looking back, obviously, there could be some alteration of memory looking back, but I think at the time, Mike Vrabel would have loved to have two other, you know, those two picks that turn into Will Levis. Now, what this means is there could be some alteration of memory looking back, but I think at the time is that that is in related, the alteration of memory is related to what he thinks that Mike Vrabel would have liked better. And that is kind of like revisionist history. Pretty clear what he means there. I don't think we have to get too much into it. Just the fact that I'm not surprised that because it goes on to say he would love to have been able to invest those two picks into you know other parts of the depth chart. They had just taken Malik Willis in the third round in the year before. Nowhere does Robinson say they like or wanted Malik Willis. I, that has to do with draft strategy. That like they're kind of like we. I think we'd rather have the two picks instead of maybe possibly trading up. But they 
if they were forced, they weren't forced to trade up. I think that when you're talking about it, they're talking about they would rather have the strategy. Not that they're totally against Will Levis or totally against trading up for a quarterback. In and they're just saying, I think that Mike Vrabel would like the draft picks. Guess what? They had a lot of holes to fill. Of course, they would like the higher draft picks to fill other holes because they had just taken Malik Willis. It's not because. They like Malik Willis. It's not because they think Malik Willis is the future. Malik Willis is better than Will Levis. They just knew it's a Ryan Tannehill thing to me. It's like they had Ryan Tannehill. Maybe we need to use these picks towards someone, something else. But we do need a quarterback, right? I mean, that's kind of how I view it. I, I kind of see it as that maybe, and this is the kind of the push and pull with coaches and GMs all the time, and why those are generally two separate roles is the coach is always going to want the players that can help him right now this year, right? Like he's not worried about 2024, 2025, all that shit. He wants the guys that can help him right now. And and so I wouldn't be surprised at all if Rabel was like, yeah, I don't really want to trade up and give up additional picks, which technically they didn't give up any additional picks in the 2023 draft because they just slid picks around. And then they gave up the third rounder from this upcoming year. Uh, so, cause they ended up with Tajay Spears, obviously as their third rounder, um, after it had moved back in what nine spots or whatever it was, that was the second pick, uh, that, that they included in that trade, um, from 2023. So I, I think, yeah, maybe Vrabel wanted that, but I, I could easily see that being a situation where Carthon did not Carthon understands he's got to build for the long term. He's got to understand that he's got to build, you know, what, Amy Adams Strunk once, which is a team that has a good quarterback, um, not just for this year, but for, you know, the the next five years, the next 10 years, however long Carthon's going to be here. Um, and he goes and gets the quarterback. So to me, m- yeah, maybe Vrabel didn't want to trade up, um, but I don't see that as him against Levis or that he hates Levis. And, and I, also while we're here, like, can we move off of this whole – he was the number three behind Willis he, or he couldn't beat out Willis for six weeks or whatever thing. Like, is it not obvious to everyone that has been following this team at all, that the reason Willis was number two was because Levis got hurt at an inopportune time, barely got any preseason reps at all um, was a rookie coming in. And also, the coaching staff didn't really want Levis' first exposure to playing football to be coming in cold off the bench with very little reps from practice and just, here you go. You're out there. Good luck. And this is what we talked about as far back as I think I pulled the clip August 24th, um, you know, almost three months ago now, uh, that it would be Willis that would be the active guy on game days and he would get you out of a game. And then if he was, if Tanner was going to be out for any chunk of time, it would be Levis. And and it turned out that was what it was. And that doesn't mean that they thought Malik Willis was a better quarterback than Will Levis for the last three weeks. It's just, they didn't want to put him in that position because they knew he was a rookie. They knew he didn't have a ton of preseason reps and they knew they wanted to be able to prepare him more for a game before he actually was thrown in the fire where Malik Willis had, uh, he had bad performances last year, but he had reps last year in that situation coming off the bench, playing in games, playing at NFL speed. So he was a good option to be able to come off the bench 
in that or a better option to be able to come off the bench in that scenario. So it's just two completely different yeah. things. Like it's it's not that it's not as black and white as well. He was only the third quarterback, which I the national people feed into that too, which is stupid um, and hurts because that that means more more and more fans look at it and believe that. But it's just a ridiculous take, and we we should leave that in the past now because it's very clear that this team always planned on Levis being the guy if Tannehill got hurt. And the last thing I'll address from this clip, and it's the very last thing he says before they go into talking about the 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 whole offseason th- stuff that you just talked about and then Levis's actual performance. He says, I do think it was an ownership-inspired selection, which we've already talked about. I think the coaching staff at the time, maybe not everybody, but I know there were certain individuals on the coaching staff who were like, okay, so we're going to do this? Doesn't say variable, but I'm going to drop a little massive bombshell to everybody. Not every coach on the staff, not every scout on the staff is going to like the draft picks a GM makes or uh, whoever's in charge makes them. Especially when it's poor, polarizing throughout the draft process, as will Levis. I mean, him and CJ Stroud both rubbed people th- or the wrong way in certain things throughout the whole draft process. So I'm not surprised if certain thing, if certain people on a team don't like the draft pick. Whoa! The, what a revelation that not every coach is going to like it. And guess what? It doesn't matter if every coach liked it. It doesn't matter if, listen, I don't know who Charles Robinson's sources are or who he's talking to inside the building. It could be a freaking quality control coach. I don't know. It could be some mid-level scout. I don't know. But it doesn't really matter. All that matters is that we know that Mike Vrabel likes him, Rand Carthon likes him, and it's so freaking clear. And the team likes him, right? That's all that matters. The nut, this pick was not forced on anybody. This was this was a mandate to find a quarterback, and they landed on getting Will Levis, right? Like there, there. That's what they've. That's their hand was forced on C.J. Stroud, obviously, right? Because that's who they wanted, regardless yeah. of a massive mandate from Amy uh, Adam Strunk. They were still going to go, I guess, like slap her in the face and go get C.J. Stroud instead. It's clearly that this team just wanted a quarterback, right? And there, there is nothing to make up. The only attention, and because Green Thumb's like, oh, Charles Robinson is making up for attention. No, this is all just kind of common sense at the NFL draft for the most part. An owner said, hey, we need to find a quarterback in this draft. They knew that they were going to need a quarterback in this draft anyway because they were scouting quarterbacks the whole time. So maybe yeah. she said, like, at some different point, they scored scouted quarterbacks the whole time. They've been trying to trade to get C.J. Stroud. So none of that's new. And it's not new that the team is like, uh, or the, there's people on staff that just don't like him. Like, okay, big whoop, who cares? It's not, I mean, like, or they weren't fans of him as a scout or whatever you want yeah. you want to use. They're, you know, certain individuals, Vigils just like, okay, so we're going to do this. Like, to me, it's like this is all just common sense stuff that happens in the draft that comes out after the draft. And maybe Charles Robinson's making it up for attention, but he could do it. He could, if he wants to make it up for attention, this is stuff that could have been said on 1025 with the local radio, not my man, Michael Smith podcast, where no Tennessee Titans fan has probably ever heard that. I haven't heard of it until you shared the clip yeah. and then I took the clip and put it out on Twitter. You guys would have never known. Like, that's the worst possible place to probably make um, g- gain attention from Titans fans. Uh, and look, if, if you're no. going to, 
if you're a national NFL reporter and you're looking for attention, you don't make up stories about the Titans, right? Like, yeah, right. Make up a story about Aaron Rodgers or some shit and, like and that. I, stuff that kind of has came out is that Amy Adams and Joe Rexford's mentioned it. PK's mentioned that Amy Adams drunk have both kind of like has said that, hey, find me a quarterback. Like that's kind of what she said. And, you know, Charles Robinson, I'm sure, is going to get asked about it on Thursday morning on Robbie and Rexford, so you could tune in and listen to that. But I think these – listen, I'm not a big Charles Robinson fan, right? I, I, I haven't liked him since the clowny stuff. I, I think that he has more misses than hits, and but he has I, I haven't, I haven't liked him since the uh, uh, COVID stuff. That yeah. was – he was I, one oh, of the, yeah, I forgot the COVID big stuff. time pushers of the – you know, Titans are going to get the death penalty yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, he was. Yeah, I he think he's got that. more more misses than hits. But what he's saying here is not anything con- that's condemnable. It's not anything bad for the team. If you think it's bad for the team, that's because you're letting your own public perception skew it in a way that it's not meant to be skewed. Now, listen. He chose ownership inspired for a reason. He didn't say ownership driven. He didn't say ownership forced. It's ownership inspired. That should tell you everything. I mean, like, there's so many other words he could have used that would have been used if it was describing uh, Mark Davis saying something or Al Davis saying something. I just think, like, you just got to keep it in perspective and not jump to the reason, the thing. And listen, if you have problem listening and paying attention to words on that are said on YouTube, they have transcripts. So you can go to the transcript and make sure that you see and you're hearing everything correctly because that's what I did. That will do it and, for us. Well, so can, can we, 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 can we spend also, a lot of time on this? Can we also just say that uh, it all that shit stopped mattering the moment he was drafted, right? Like who wanted him, who didn't want him, anything like that. That stopped mattering because look, he's on the team now. Uh, the pick's been spent. They are all on board to making Will Levis the very best Will Levis that he can be. And despite the fact that that they edited out any mention of him in the uh, post-game speech, which maybe because maybe Mike Vrabel had dropped too many F-bombs during that part of it and it was, you know, not, you know, coherent once it was edited, um, you know, it doesn't mean that they hate him. And for some reason, they're trying to sabotage him despite the fact that he <laughs> had one of the best debuts of any rookie yeah, quarterback like, oh, ever. Man. Like, I mean, I bet Will is... Levis is mad at Mike Vrabel because they put him in a, such a bad situation. What? 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 Such a, a bad situation. Or four touchdowns? For, yeah, God. Like, let's just enjoy the fact that the quarterback that, the, that this team drafted went out and played like a fucking boss on Sunday yeah. and might actually be a guy and uh, that there is renewed hope. Like, because look, this team had no hope. Will Levis comes in, plays well. This team has hope again. And so I just enjoy that and stop looking for microaggressions that are, are not there. Like, just stop. And all that hope will be destroyed in just 24 hours when the Steelers game is over. So there's that. Uh, for those that listen to a football show, we have a lot of people listening. For those that listen to a football show, uh, we're going to be after the game and after the game, live broadcast, live reaction after the game for a football show tomorrow. I think we may do something like a 10 to 15 minute preview show, but you know, things happen. But that night after the game, get ready live, a football show, me and Braden Gall are going to be breaking down everything that happened in the game. Uh, Mike's about to get, have a article posted at podcast.com talking about Will Levis. Stoney Keeley for VIP members. Second inbox is going to have a film session, another film session because we really, I've watched every film session that has came across out came across my feed or came across into my inbox about the uh 
about the oh my gosh, one of the oh about Will Levis, and uh, so you know. I'm just I'm ready for some more. Stony Keeley's got it 4 p.m. today, so in just 10 minutes, uh, it'll be out for stackinginbox.com. For Mike Kern, you can follow him on X at Mike Kern NFL. I'm Zach Lyons. You can follow me on X at Pod. This has been Football and Other F-Words, and you have just been effed.